This is the king of old school, Steve Carino. And when I want to listen to a great wrestling podcast, well, I'll listen to my own. But if I really want to listen to a great wrestling podcast, I listen to ROH Cast right here on ROHworld.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 15 of ROH Cast. My name's Harry. I'm the co owner and web designer of ROHworld.com. Once again, I'm here with Stephen. Uh, they say all men created equal, but they were wrong. Hi, everyone. And I'm here with John, the podcast super-duper King Kong mega-mega writing sensation. How's it going? And we've also got a, another guest with us this week, who, uh, Macklin, who was live in uh, attendance at Final Battle in New York. How's it going, guys? This week, we've got a special show lined up for you. We're not going to talk about the news or listener topics as we usually do. We're just going to do a review of Final Battle, get some insight from Macklin, who was there, and just share our thoughts on the show in general. So uh, the show began with TJ Perkins taking on Michael Elgin, uh, and Michael Elgin got the win with the... What was the finish? Can anyone remember, guys? Uh, I think it was a spinning uh, spin-out powerbomb. That was it, yes. Yeah. So He I really th- needs a name for that, doesn't he? He does, yeah, because obviously Champa's got his to the knees, which is the Project Champa, isn't it? They should ask Kevin Kelly. He seems to come up with most of them. <laughs> I think he calls it Unbreakable. I'm not sure. That could, yeah, yeah, probably is actually. Yeah, I think Kevin Kelly just started calling the people's finishers what their nicknames was because he started calling Eddie Edwards' finisher the uh, the die. die yeah, yeah. But I thought this opener was fantastic. The only flaw I would give it was that it was too short. I think it should have gone a bit longer. And another thing is, quite a few guys felt this, but because the opening was just so good, it put your expectations too high for what was to come. I think they should have perhaps opened with Champa and uh, Jimmy Rave because the Champa and Rave match sort of disappointed trying to follow that opener. Uh, John, what what did you think of the first match of the night? Uh, it was probably one of my favorite matches. I've probably put it second behind the Steen Carino matches. My favorite my favorite matches of the night. I knew going in with Elgin and TJP style that, you know, given the time they're going to put on a very good match. And I thought this could be the match that, like the sleeper match of the show that everybody, you know, wasn't really talking about. But I expected big things from it, and it didn't disappoint. Uh, Elgin is just so much fun to watch, I think. His, his power is just unbelievable. The spot where TJP came off the top and got caught in the suplex. Yeah. That oh, was yeah. A, yeah. That was just amazing. I love that. And. You know, I do wish it got like a, you know another five minutes, but for what it got, it was really, really good. And it, uh, I think it was like the perfect match to open a show. It really got the crowd into it. Really got the, uh, got the show off to a great start. And you know, the other matches not delivering how they, how people thought they would might be because of this match was so good. But you can't fault this match for doing that. I guess the order was kind of messed up, but I think this is the perfect match to put on first. Yeah, I have to go, John. I, I personally thought they were going to go with the five uh, five team scramble for the first match, just because I thought, you know, they want something a bit fast paced. But that ended up going about half an hour, didn't it? So mm. I guess they didn't want, you know, the opening match going that long. Um, in terms of Elgin TJP, as you two said, you know, I thought it was brilliant. Um, I know we said beforehand that it was going to be sort of, the, you know, the sleeper match of the night, and it, it might even be, you know, the best or one of the best. And I think it turned out to be uh, be just that. Um, Algin, as as John said, has just been so good since he came in, and he just keeps getting better and better. And uh, I think he's going to be the next sort of guy to be to be pushed up the card. And I know he's got his world title shot. And TJP as well, you know, did, did his job really well. And he's uh, you know, he's really good at making people, you know, put, make people look better than than what they are. And um, I really enjoyed it. 
maybe what you know what you two guys said about another extra five minutes maybe but um you know if that if that match was hard to uh, hard to follow another five minutes on on top of that would have been more or less impossible so i guess they probably just uh they did the right amount of time really for that i mean i think i agree with john really it was definitely one of my favorites i mean later on in the night well, you know, I think during the intermission, I was like speaking to Stephen on Skype at the time, and I was just saying, like, I was still amazed by just how good the opener was. So credit to Elgin and TJP because it was it was really good. Um, the next match was Tommaso Ciampa with Prince Nana taking on the returning Jimmy Rave. I thought I was going to get some insight here, Harry. <laughs> oh, go go ahead if you've got some insight to share on the opener. <laughs> no, the the only thing the only thing that I have to say about it is that. Um... After the whole entire show was over, people were still talking about the suplex spot with TJP, saying that um, that was just it was just one of the, the those moments in like Ring of Honor that you're going to remember. Like being at a live show, I mean, it might maybe down the road you won't remember it as much, but that was the thing that everybody was talking about outside is when Elgin caught him in that suplex. It was just amazing strength and athleticism by both of the guys to pull off the spot, you know. Mm. Uh, as I was just saying, uh, the second match was Tommaso Ciampa with Prince Nana taking on the returning Jimmy Rave. Um, <laughs> this match, I don't know, it just took a while to get going. I don't know if you felt this as well, but I didn't really get into it. It just felt a bit sort of slow and it just seemed to drag on a bit. I mean, I don't know if it was, you know, Jimmy Rave not wrestling for a long time or, or I'm not sure what, to be honest, but Ciampa obviously got the win with the Project Ciampa, the uh, powerbomb to the knees. But, you know, Stephen, what were your thoughts on this match? Yeah, I was also pretty disappointed with this one. I was really expecting quite a good match with with Rave coming back, and I don't think it was he hasn't wrestled because I'm pretty sure he he literally just come back from India. He's doing the TNA thing in India. They've got him doing that, so oh, okay. maybe it was a bit of jet lag. I don't know. Maybe they didn't want to sort of do too much with him, but um, you know he got a nice pop coming back, and uh, you know didn't didn't get any uh, toilet roll, which was a a plus for him, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but in terms of the match, like you said, I thought it was. It took a while to get going, and it was just, yeah, it was just quite slow, and it didn't really have any fluidity. It was just sort of stop and start, which was, which was a shame. And I wasn't a big fan of the finish either. I mean, I, I know the whole point of having, you know, the embassy there is to sort of help Champa win, but they're, they're building him up as, to be this, you know, this ruthless guy who, you know, is going on an undefeated streak. And to be fair to Rave, I think, you know, coming back, he'd probably, be, you know, down the, you know, the lower uh, bit of the card. So. For Champa needing basically basically every single member of the embassy interfered, didn't they? For him needing the whole mm. sort of embassy to interfere for him to beat someone like Rave, I thought that I don't know. I just I wasn't yeah I wasn't a fan of the the finish. I th- I liked the spot where Nana was sort of offered uh, Rave the um, sort of coat or whatever. It wasn't is, that the finish called. though? But yeah, I, you, I, I, I did uh, like it in in itself. I liked the way that oh, the offering of the Rave, coat. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because Rave used to wear and he was a crown door and everything. But I don't think that should have led to the you know the finish. They should have done that about halfway through, and mm. that should have allowed Champa to get you know uh, back on top, and then he could have just done you know done his thing and then just got the win. So um, overall, yeah, a bit disappointed with this one. And I know a lot of people have been quite uh, critical of Champa, haven't they? I think he just I don't think he's really improved um, over the last few months. He's just sort of his matches are. Just all a bit, you know, a bit slow and a bit. Mm, I'm not, not really sure what to what to say about that, really. Um, really not, what did John and Macklin think about it? Oh well, Rave had just gotten off, like they said earlier that day, got back from a 26-hour flight from India. Oof. So, I think that's yeah. kind of, you know, jet lag played a part into the, the uh, pacing or the uh, overall quality of the match. 
Mm. Um, but it seems like it, time and time again, every time we talk, talk about Tommaso Ciampa, we always say the match was disappointing or the match didn't live up to expectations. And like you said, he just hasn't really improved since he came into Ring of Honor. And that's a shame because I think he has like one of the better looks in the uh, company. Uh, he, ha I like his finisher. I like some of the stuff he does. I like his ruthless style. But it just seems like time and time again, he's talking about how disappointing his match was. And I'm not sure what they can do to improve upon that. I'm not sure if he just isn't as good as they thought he was or if he is... Uh, you know, holding back some for whatever reason, but it seems like we always talk about how his match didn't live up to expectations, and it just, I don't know, if he's not improving, there's really no sense in uh, continuing to push him, because uh, Mike Bennett, people used to be critical, really critical of him, people still are critical of him, but at least he's shown improvement mm. that warrant why he's getting pushed, and Tommaso Ciampa has just not shown that improvement, <laughs> and I just don't understand why, I, I mean, I, I'm not saying they shouldn't push him, I'm just, uh, he just hasn't shown the reason why they are so high on him. I mean, do you think it could be a problem that a lot of his matches have been against, you know, jobbers, basically, for quite a while? He hasn't had any sort of real opponents. It's just been squash matches normally. I mean, yeah. that could that could be a part of it. I think he really needs to be put into a feud. Like, not even somebody high on the card. It's like a mid-card talent. And, like, have, a, like, an actually established feud mm. that goes on for three to four months. You know, really put him over. Because he hasn't really, I mean, I thought Jimmy Ray was going to be the guy to really put him over to beat like a legitimate opponent, but it just still we're talking about how disappointing Ciampa was. And Ray, I wouldn't wouldn't mind him being back in Ring of Honor full time. I wouldn't really be, I wouldn't be against it. But it's, he seems like his better days for the company are behind him. Mm. It was good to see, it was good to see him back, and I'm glad. You know, he has the well documented, you know, drug problems and everything. I'm glad he's finally getting his life straightened out, but I'm not sure if he, if I really want to see him back in Ring of Honor full time just yet. Just, I would rather see him, you know, on other shows, you know, getting back to where he was previously before Ring of Honor brings him back full time. But it was great to see him back, even if it was just for one more match. But uh, Macklin, how was the like, the response for Rave like when he first came out? Um, it was kind of it was kind of mixed, but. I think the crowd was just so pumped from the first match to see uh, all of the spots in the first match. And I, I don't know if they were so much worn out, but they were just it. It wasn't the response that you think you would get to see uh, to see like Jimmy Rave coming back, you know, to conquer the embassy after the embassy shunned him and everything. I just I just thought that after the first match up until the Steen and Carino match um, in maybe even a little bit past it, the crowd was just dead. For everything, you know, they were they were they were just chants like "We want Ryder" and you know, and people not paying attention to the uh, the match. There was a guy wearing a Cena shirt up on the balcony, and they were all screaming and yelling at him, and not even paying attention to Champa or Rave. You know, so I don't know. It, it just seemed like overall during that match, the crowd just wasn't into it at all. Uh, the next match of the night was for the TV title as Jay Lethal defended against El Generico and the prodigy Mike Bennett. Um, much to our surprise, Jay Lethal actually retained the title here. Um, on our forum, we did a prediction league where everyone could, you know, share who they think was going to win. And I think something like only 25% predicted that Lethal was going to win, which wasn't that many people at all. I mean, ever since the TV show started, we thought, you know, Bennett was going to win. But before we talk about the match itself, what do you think, you know, of Lethal keeping the belt and, you know, the reasons for this, perhaps? 
I don't think it's sad. a bad decision, really. Um, I mean, I, I think, as you say, everyone was expecting Bennett to win, and unlike Champer, I think he's really, you know, really improved, especially on the TV show. They've really been able to get his character over, and uh, you know, he's improving as a healer all the time. He's getting, you know, tons of heat now from from more or less every crowd. Um, yeah, I think it was surprising, but I, I can see why they've done it. Maybe they want Bennett just to get a bit more, bit more heat, and just to sort of prove, have another, you know, have two or three more matches that. You know, really, really solid, just to sort of prove that he can hold the title. Um, I thought the actual match itself, what well, again, it was a bit disappointing. It until the last sort of five or six minutes, it was a bit sluggish and a bit slow again. But um, yeah, I can see why they've they've kept the belt on lethal. But I, I think Bennett will be winning it pretty soon anyway. So um, it, yeah, it won't be long until he's got the title. I won't be surprised if uh, the uh, TV tapings perhaps he gets the belt there. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't agree with the decision to have Lethal keep the, keep the title. I mean, Lethal's moving on to the main event scene. He has the uh, was announced to have the uh, title match with Richards when they returned to Philadelphia in January. Mm. And it, he just seems uh, like the belt does nothing for him. He's really doing nothing for the belt. And having Mike Bennett you know, win the belt would really legitimize his character and put his character like, to the next level. Yeah. And it just sent the perfect night to do it with uh, you know him, you know, Introducing Maria as his valet, which she needs to be on every Ring of Honor show from now on. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> um, another thing. Another thing was is um, it seemed during the triple threat match they were um, they were hiding the negatives and accentuating the positives, like uh, you know Bennett ducking out of the ring at the beginning of the match and letting Lethal and Generico fight, and then he would come in when someone was down and stomp on them, and then jump out of the ring and. You know, and it just seemed like every time um, Bennett was on offense, he was just stomping somebody, like not doing like any real moves, just like stomping people while they were down, you know, <laughs> until, until it came down to, you know, Lethal and Bennett. And then he had to wrestle, you know. So, I mean, I, I agree with you guys. I think that Bennett needs to get three or four more good matches under his belt until and he can actually, you know, go after the TV title again. But I think the inclusion of El Generico, even though we, I didn't really understand why he was part of this match, other than to provide the spark, you know, to make this a good, like a better match than it would be, and he did just that. I, just, mm. like it, it seemed like you know it's a series of one-on-one matches throughout like the first, you know, how long was this match? Like twenty minutes or yeah. so. Yeah. Seemed like the first twelve to fifteen were just a series of one-on-one matches: Jay Lethal versus Generico, then you know Lethal versus Bennett, then Bennett versus Generico, and all that, and then you know once. Generico started hitting all the crazy dives to the outside. The match really hit the next level of pace. And really, I, I, I enjoyed this match, I think, more than most people did, just because of how much I liked the last five minutes. And it's, and I I don't know. I, I liked it, but like the I wasn't a fan of the ending, though, how quickly the two eliminations happened. Yeah, I was disappointed with that as well. Yeah, was... yeah, I mean, like, as soon as it was time, you know, for Bennett to be, you know, forced to wrestle where he couldn't hide, they just end it. I mean, it's a bit disappointing. But they could have really sort of... He's dragged that on for a while because everyone was expecting Bennett to win. They could have really got a few, you know, near falls out of that and really sort of uh, got built the it up. But, but yeah. yeah, they just seemed to, as you said, as soon as you know, it was just. I think it made him look a bit weak at the end, uh, mm-hmm. if, I'm, if I'm honest. And as uh, going on from what John said about, um, you know, Generico's inclusion in the match, I, I honestly think he probably saved this match from being, you know, really disappointing. I think, as I said, the last five or six minutes, I thought the match really kicked into gear, and that was mainly down to. Generico really turning up uh, the pace and getting some you know, impressive moves in. 
I'm not sure if it was because uh, it was a triple threat match that they were sort of keeping it slow and building up to the finish or whether it was just a bit of, you know, mishmash of styles. But um, I'm not sure whether they're going to want to do the, the whole Lethal and Bennett thing because obviously they did it best in the world and that was okay. It wasn't great. And now mm. again, they seem to be they seem to be hesitant to put, you know, put Bennett in sort of a match on his own. And maybe that's why they didn't give him the title. As we said, they just want to see him have a few, you know, a few matches against, you know, maybe an Adam Cole or a Carl O'Reilly, someone like that, who's, you know, always putting on good matches. Maybe have a match with one of them guys just to see, you know, if if he can put on good matches all the time because it'd be a bit uh, awkward a situation if they gave him the title and then, you know, he started having dud matches. I mean, and then they'd have to So then they'd, they'd have no choice really what to do with it because, you know, Ring of Honor aren't really known for sort of giving cheap, uh, you know, total runs away unless your name's El Generico, in which case <laughs> you've got no chance. I mean, they could, <clears throat> even with, you know, what you just said there, I still think they should have given the title to Bennett. I mean, then he could go on to feud with guys like Adam Cole and O'Reilly on the TV show and Lethal could then move up to the main event scene, you know, to add some sort of a fresh face, so to speak, to feud with Roderick or Edwards or something. But I, I still think they should have given it to Bennett personally. Lethal's a lot more impressive live than he is on TV. That handspring uh, ace crusher is really impressive live. The one that he finished out Bennett in the match with was uh, mm. he's really good coming off the top rope. He's a really good technical wrestler. And, you know, watching him on the TV show, you don't get the whole grasp of how good he really is. Then you see him live and you're like, okay, that's why he's the TV champion, you know? Didn't still- uh, Kevin Kelly call the, uh, spring, the uh, handspring ace crusher? Didn't he call that the lethal injection? He has yeah. called so many moves the lethal injection now. It really starts. He to calls annoy. the elbow the lethal injection, which has never ever been called the lethal injection. Well, I don't know why it, he calls it. Friday he called it the hail to the king, which I kind of like. <laughs> <sighs> and then he, he called, you know, the lethal combination. He's called that the lethal injection as well. And There's so now... many things you can put lethal in front of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he needs to get a, an official list of finisher names. Need to be printed yeah. off and given to Kevin Kelly. I think. I think I literally just think he makes them up on the spot. He's yeah. made every single one up on the spot. I'm, luckily, a couple of them like box every smash for Bennett's quite good, so they've, they've kept with that. But I think that, he's just... never mentioned again. He hasn't done it since that. No, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure he's actually hit it since then, has he? Yeah. No. <laughs> but other than but other than his you know weird uh, knack for giving finishers weird names, I, I like Kevin Kelly on commentary and. Him and Nigel were, were really good on commentary, I think, on, on Final Battle. He got a big reception, John, when he came out with uh, – he came out before Nigel, and then uh, he got a really good reception, then Nigel came out and just blew the whole roof off the place. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, uh, Kevin Kelly did get a good reaction, and they were chanting Kevin Kelly, Kevin Kelly before they said they were going live on iPay-Per-View. I think we actually yeah. saw that. I, I think the live feed, feed went live before it uh... – Oh, yeah, because they did a live countdown in the build, so I don't know if that came across, though. Yeah. Um, I suppose that's one of the many technical issues. I think we'll save that to the end. Yeah, I think that's going to take a while. (laughs) Uh, That'll be a whole podcast of its own. Yeah, I'd like to hear that. I didn't hear anything about that. We'll get to that in a bit. But before we move away from the TV title match, what do you guys think of, um, you know, Maria being added to Bennett's character? Not from, you know, a visual standpoint. Tried to look at this professionally. Is there any other standpoint to take? (laughs) He's not a good heel. (laughs) <laughs> but, I mean, I think she makes much more sense as sort of Bennett's manager than Brutal Bob. She was doing the whole Maurice thing from, you know, WWE. She was putting her hand up to the crowd and, you know, like turning her back to the crowd and everything, you know. 
And she, but what she did do well was, is that she blocked her ears when they started chanting CM Punk and sloppy seconds at her, which was actually <laughs> really, really funny live because it was just deafening in there, you know, with the CM Punk chants. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe she just needs more time to work at it, but I don't think it worked at Final Battle, uh, you know. I, 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 that's my input. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, given the choice, I'd take Maria over Brutal Bob for Mike Bennett. It just the Brutal oh, Bob character with Mike Bennett just, you know, they explain it still just doesn't seem like it fits when Maria just seems like it'd be, it's just the perfect match character-wise to me, I think. Yeah, and it's going to get him a lot more heat just based on jealousy. Like, I hate him more now seeing him with Maria than I did before, and it, that's, what, that's what she's there for, so it works. Yeah. Uh, the next match was probably my personal favourite, probably many favourites as well of the night, was uh, Kevin Steen defeated Steve Carino. Um, I thought this was fantastic. Some of the spots were insane. Um, some perhaps too far and perhaps too many. I mean, I saw... Yeah, some unnecessary spots. But, you know, overall, I thought this one was fantastic. And I think it was good that there was no swerve. You know, there was no no one turned heel. I mean, like, uh, Jacobs didn't turn or Cornette didn't interfere or something like that. It was just, you know, clean finish, so to speak. And uh, I'm glad there was no swerve. But, you know, John, what did you think of this match? I, it was my favorite match of the night. Even from the beginning with uh, Kevin Steen having to come down through the crowd, it all just made, just made it seem like... I don't know. It, it just seemed perfect to me. Uh, I, I like that Jimmy Jacobs didn't turn. I like that he that they teased the turn though. Like at one point, didn't he steal the chair from Kevin Steen? Yeah, yeah. And he, like he kind of looked at Carino. I can't remember. Did he hit Steen with the chair? Or I think he, I no. I think he put it. Just put it down. Yeah, he put it down. Okay, I'm, I'm glad they you know just teased the turn like everybody thought was going to happen. They, Do you next... remember last year as well? I don't know if you remember, but uh, El Generico and Steen last year when when Cabana came in and, and took the chair. And I think everybody was expecting Cabana to hit uh, Generico with a chair on that at that precise moment. I know I was, and I was just yeah. it was. I think I, that was such like a subtle thing that they did it again. Yeah. I don't think many people would have picked up on it, but I think mm. yeah, I like the I way was, they sort of did that. I just like all that the uh, I guess callbacks like they like that's been going on between you know this Kevin Steen, Ro versus Roh versus you know Deep Carino versus El Generico. That whole feud like it's how they've been building everything and playing off what they've done in the past. Has just been perfect, and this match did, you know, kind of have some unnecessary spots, or not, not unnecessary because they worked on the match, I think, but too, uh, too risky of spots. That you, know, if they wouldn't have uh, taken some of the risks, I think it would have been just as good, and you know, maybe uh, wouldn't have put the wrestlers in as much harm physically. But they, they did them, and I, you know, had to say I, I still enjoyed them. <laughs> It's as weird as that sounds. That suplexed onto the guardrail that was on the chairs was insane. It looked like right on the edge of his, the corner, back of the corner of his back, hit right at the corner on that uh, on that guardrail. Yeah. That was brutal. That the one. Sound live was just it's it was sickening. The, the sound that he made when he hit that guardrail was just ugh. Oh, there were so many spots during the match. I was just cringing while it was happening. Mm. Yeah, and it was. Especially that last one with the. Uh, Package power driver through like the uh, the four stacked chairs, oh, yeah. Like, it, it just looked like they went straight through the chairs and just broke Steve Carino's neck. Is what I thought happened. Just the way he was just laid out, and they had they had me. Uh, I was fully invested in the match, and I was just freaking out during it. And it was 
and the aftermath of the match, everything that was going on afterwards. It was just a perfect, this perfect way, perfect mm-hmm. way to, I guess, I'm, it's not the end of the feud. It's just the perfect next chapter of the Kevin Steen saga of Ring of Honor. I mean, I think Cornette was fantastic at ringside as well. How sort of emotional, how into the match he was. You know, he was flipping off. He was giving the middle finger to Steen during the match. And it was just fantastic the way that, you know, Steen kept looking over at him, sort of teasing him, egging him on. And and then after the match, um, Steen, you know, he attacked Jacobs. And then he was going to attack Cornette as well. Was it? I think it was Cornette, yeah. And then um, Generico made the save. But then he got, was it a package power driver off the apron through a table? And then... That was just ridiculous, and then Steen just leaves, and it was it was insane. And then you know they had what was it medical staff come and look at Generico and Carino and Jacobs because everyone was just laid out, and it was it was just chaos. Looking back, I think this should have been the main event. It was arguably the match everybody was looking forward to the most. You know, yeah. two, pretty much two years in the making. I think this should have been the match to close the show. And I think if it was the match to close the show, people would be looking at Final Battle in a different light than what they are now. I think. The only reason it wasn't main event is so Steen could do that amazing promo at the end, which we'll get onto later because that was that was fantastic. Yep. <laughs> he, he saved the ending, but we'll get onto that yeah. in a bit. But um, before we move off this match, Macklin, do you think the you know there's so many spots sort of burnt the crowd out a bit? Like if there was just one big spot, you know, to get a huge reaction, do you think that would have been better than all of these? You know, too many major spots. Yeah, and I saw that Steve Carino posted something online about how he makes the unprotected chair shots look unprotected, and they they are they're magic men, and they do magic in the ring and stuff like that. But um, you know, they're wrestlers; they get dropped in their head all the time. You know, he said, and chairs don't really make a difference. The mat is just as hard, you know. But I think that if they had just that did that guardrail spot, and maybe the spot that Steen likes to do throughout all his matches, setting up the. Uh, the table outside of the ring and the guardrail and between the um, and in between the ring and you know did his little somersault off the uh, off the top rope onto the table. I think that would have been you know sufficient, but um, it really did burn the crowd out. I mean, the crowd was just sitting on their hands for the rest of the show. You know, even during the uh, the, uh, the the main event. You know, mm. and the problem was that was the match. More or less, every single person was looking forward to. I think if you'd have asked people before they went in. Like, what's the match you're most looking forward to? I think 90% of them would have said Carino and uh, Steen. So maybe it was an error sort of putting it that that early in the the show. But then if you put it just before the main event, the main event's not going to get any reaction whatsoever, is it? That's the that, that's the problem they had. And mm. I think that obviously they they didn't announce Carino and Steen until you know quite recently, really. And they wanted to build. You know, especially the title matches, they wanted to build them for quite a while on the TV show. So that's probably why Richard and Edwards was sort of the main event. And I can see why they put Carino and Steen so early in the show. But yeah, and it, and it made to sense it. to have the intermission afterwards. You know, after yeah, all yeah. chaos had happened, it made sense well, it, to have a break. <laughs> I was just thinking, like when I was watching, it was like the shot they had. Like I think they had like one of the cameras set up above the entranceway, and it seemed like all the chaos that Steen and Carino had caused, like all the chaos that Steen has caused. It's not the perfect time to go to intermission. It just seemed like this, the, like a perfect visual of what Kevin Steen represents in Ring of Honor. It's just complete and utter chaos. Mm. Well, it's funny because Carino was sitting up in the ring, and they had two. They had uh, like three or four attendants plus uh, plus Cornette looking at him. But El Generico was on the outside, and they just had one guy looking at El Generico on the outside. From what I saw, and <laughs> I thought that the package pile driver off of the uh, off of the table was a lot more uh, vicious than uh, the one through the chair because. 
I mean, I saw it. I could see I had a good vantage point of where his head hit. And it looked like that um, that Steen did protect his head from hitting the um, from hitting the canvas, you know. But that that Generico um, pile driver through the table that just brutal, mm. absolutely brutal. And there's been a lot of talk online since Final Battle about the unprotected chair shots. I'm not sure. I can't remember if Carino took any. I know there's a lot in the tag match, tag title match. Uh, w- was there anybody saying anything at the show itself, or is it mostly just people on the internet? saying things um well i i had a friend with me my friend paul and i said to him i said you know um i think they didn't they do i'm not i don't really remember uh that well because i hadn't slept for like 48 hours but um (laughs) um, i um i think there was a callback to where carino was on his knees and steen had the chair kind of like um reminiscent of what happened between um kevin steen and generico and what and how generico finished off steen last year at final battle too yeah, that was yeah exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. People were saying because um, last year, um, Steen took that shot to his shoulder, and it looked a lot like this year that um, that Carino had taken it right to the head. Yeah, a lot of people on on our Twitter about as well were, were saying about the chair shots, and I think a lot of people have discussed it since. And then there's you know a few of the the major wrestling websites have posted stuff about it, and I think one. One guy even said that he'd put wrestling back ten years or something like that. I thought that was ridiculous. I think so, I think some people are just going over the top with this. I mean, especially Carino. I think I mean the camera angle was so good for that that you could clearly see that he sort of got his hand in front of his head just in time to sort of block yeah. most of the impact. And while I'm not saying that you know they should you know they should be taking chair shots to the head all the time because obviously they shouldn't because um, you know you can see that from you know some of the wrestlers that have uh, had to retire. I mean, look at Nigel McGuinness. I mean, I know during the, the Briscoes match, he was sort of, there was one point where Jay Briscoe took a chair shot to the... That one made and, me cringe. Yeah, oh, that, 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 one, that, that one was bad. Yeah, That wasn't necessary. That the, no. He didn't even have his hands up at all. And even yeah. McGuinness went, put your hands up. And yelling he, on he was, hands up. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't story on it. I think he was legitimately concerned because he'd never sounded that sort of, you know, passionate about something he was saying before on commentary. So that... I think was genuine concern, and he knows what it's like with the concussions and things like that. So, I don't know. That just kind of made things uncomfortable. The way he was like pleading with them to put their hands up, kind of. Yeah, it made it. Yeah, it made me cringe even more just with him mm. saying that, and then the chair shot. Ugh, no. I think the thing with the the Carino and Steen match though was because it was such, you know, after all that's gone on, it had to be a match with so many crazy things going on. You know. Karina mm. promised it, Steam promised it, and I think they more or less had to deliver that sort of match. And while there's maybe you know a couple of things that were just a bit crazy, I don't. I think if they'd have done you know different things, maybe not as you know risky or whatever. I think you know some fans are going to be like, oh, you know, maybe they didn't put everything into it. But I, I think, don't think there's any fans that could sort of say, you know, maybe they didn't go all out for it because they definitely did. And um, maybe that's the thing with I know people say you know Ring Runner fans are, are really sort of, um, you know, they, they demand so much from the wrestlers and maybe sometimes that's to the detriment of, you know, some of the wrestlers' health and obviously that, that, that shouldn't happen. But I think, yeah, the, the Carino steam match, I think everything was sort of, while it they made it look, you know, look great, I think a lot of it was pretty safe in, in terms of, you know, people aren't going to go out and have that match every, you know, every day. It was once in a year, maybe once every three years sort of match where, yeah. You know, it's such a crazy match that it's not going to happen every, you know, 
every every month or whatever. But I thought the <clears throat> the tag match was a bit you know a bit of overkill with that really. Especially yeah, it wasn't needed in the match <laughs> at all in the in the tag match. Especially when you've had the the one match with Steve, uh, Carino and Steen where you know that was so crazy that they you know they it was just overkill really with, with everything that went on in that match as well. Mark out for Carino's hair too. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I like that old touch. Yeah, it was, it was good to see him. Yeah. But yeah, Carino and Steen was my match of the night, easily. Yeah, I think definitely by by some distance. I think. Mm. Uh, does that wrap up that match? That's quite a lengthy discussion there. I think yeah. it deserved it, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the next match was the um, five team gauntlet. I think they had a nickname for that, but I forgot what it was. The Contenders Cup. Contenders Cup, there we go. Uh, the Young Bucks got Kevin the win. Kevin Kelly came up with that, by the way. Oh, well done. Uh, <laughs> the Young, <laughs> the young Bucks really. got the win and are now uh, receiving a future tag team title shot in 2012. Um, if I remember rightly, <laughs> it began with Coleman and Alexander taking on the Bravados. Uh, yes. The Bravados were then eliminated, which I know Stephen will be disappointed by. <laughs> yeah. Um, Future Shock were then the next team out. Future Shock then eliminated Coleman and Alexander. Yes. Yep. Was it Ornak Express next? And then. Yeah, no. next. Sorry, <laughs> sorry yeah. Young Bucks next, and then they eliminate, eliminated Future Shock. And then Ornak Express were last and were eliminated by Young Bucks. Um, how do we discuss this match? Because it was technically <laughs> like four tag team matches. But... You just want, you just want to go yeah. elimination by elimination? Okay, let's go with the first one. Bravados and Coleman and Alexander. I'm, I'm a bit disappointed that Bravados are just sort of being buried, basically. They haven't won a match in months, considering how much they've improved recently. I think I want to Yeah, the good thing is that they, they've been been announced for uh, Pro Wrestling Noah in Japan. They're going over to, I think, train in their dojo for a few months. So that's probably, that was probably the whole thing that they were saying. The RH officials have said that they've got to start winning matches or they're going to take a, a break or whatever. I think that was just... Sort of a way of, yeah, yeah, a way of getting them, and yeah. I think that'll be that'll be really great for them because mm. I think I think they've got the characters. I mean, I, I don't think you know some people might be a bit well, you know, the whole grandma thing is a bit lame, but I, I think it works pretty well. And <laughs> well, I think they do get quite a good reception from the crowd. I mean, I suppose Mackie's one of the best persons. I mean, the Bravados did they get a, a decent response? Yeah, they got a decent response, and they got a bunch of uh, Justin Bieber. Uh, chance yeah. <laughs> I don't know which one he is. I think it might be Harlem Bravado. I think it is Harlem. Yeah, I, I always get them mixed up. I, I I always make like a mental note of trying to remember who they are, and then I just forget. It's just a bit annoying. They got a big pop, and then the the pop went to uh, booze after like you know ten fifteen seconds. <laughs> <laughs> How about Coleman and uh, Alexander? Did they get any sort of reaction? Did anyone care for that team? Um. I don't know. They, people were saying that uh, they looked like uh, baby um, Shelton Benjamins. That's all that the uh, <laughs> that's all the crowd was saying. You know, they they didn't really cheer. They really didn't boo. They were just you know that's the worst reaction you can get is no reaction when you come out. Mm. Yeah, but I was actually impressed by Coleman in this match and what little bit he showed. He showed some good athleticism. Showed some had some good spots in the match and he like uh, the. Out of Coleman and Alexander, he came away as the star from the team in the yeah, gauntlet match. I think technically they're they're both pretty good. It's just that neither of them really have anything to stand out with. I mean, they're both sort of quite bland guys. On especially, <laughs> with the, I mean, their promos have been quite bizarre, really. I mean, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. I, I just I just don't know how they're going to try and get them over. I mean, they've had decent matches. I've not had brilliant matches, but. 
you know, they haven't done badly. It's just sort of, you know, how do they get them over with the crowds, as, as Mackin said, to start them and getting them some sort of reaction, which is, you know, which is what they need. I think just their athleticism could get them over because they were really impressive during the match. That's what I realized. You know, I mean, if you start building them up on the TV show and just putting over that athleticism, you know, the crowd might just get behind them. Yeah, maybe. The, the problem is the time they have had matches on the TV show so far, they've sort of they've sort of buried them, especially on the commentary. Remember their yeah. match against uh, Wrestling's Great was it Wrestling's Great Tag Team? I think. Yeah. And yeah, they were basically just saying like, you know, these guys are just, they were just basically saying they were jobbers, which I thought was it's a bit. Getting the uh, Danielson treatment by uh, Michael Cole, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which was yeah, was, that was a bit strange. I mean, I think they need to be put in a maybe a match with someone like maybe like the Young Bucks or something. Give them fifteen twenty minutes against the Young Bucks, and you know, obviously they're not going to win that sort of match. But I think in fifteen twenty minutes they could really show, as Mackin said, their you know athleticism and really try and get themselves over because I don't think they've been really given the opportunity for that sort of big match to help them sort of, uh, you know, get connected with the crowd yet. Mm. Uh, the next sort of tag match, so to speak, in this gauntlet was Future Shock and Common and Alexander. Any sort of thoughts, anything to share on this match? I was at the concession stand, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I can't really give any... I can, I can give an insight to... Uh... I can give an insight to the ending with the uh, with uh, All Night Express and the Young Bucks, uh, but uh, not, I can't I can't say anything about this one. Stephen and John, anything to, to share about this segment? I can't really remember the. Neither the can I personally. I mean, I wasn't <laughs> about the Young Bucks and Future Shock than I do about Future Shock and Coleman and Alexander. Yeah, I mean, overall, I don't know what it was about this gauntlet. I personally just didn't get into it. I just I don't. don't... I think it was just maybe too long or too many teams. Yeah. I just I don't know. It just didn't seem to. The concession stand was real. The long the line was really long. <laughs> How long really? was it? It was about thirty minutes, right? It was long. Yeah, yeah it went about thirty minutes. I think there was just a bit of. They, they needed to knock about you know ten minutes off, but the but the bad part about that is you'd have five teams in twenty minutes, and it just makes the. the I think thing about just... are is that usually the teams when the teams wrestle they you know. The Bucks and Future Shot could wrestle for 15 minutes mm. in a normal show. In a gauntlet match, they're asked to, you know, try to have a seven-minute, you know, at maximum seven minutes and have one team win. It, that's that's my main problem with gauntlet matches. It just quick pinfalls just don't go with yeah. the rest of what we see throughout the throughout you know other shows. It just uh, it's just a weird dynamic for me for gauntlet matches. I think it goes back to what I was saying when this match was first announced, that it was just sort of thrown together and it just too much, too many tag teams in it. I mean, personally, I would have preferred just Young Bucks versus Future Shock when it gets a title shot. I mean, yeah. the All Not Express, they didn't need to be in this. Rhett Titus is injured and they've already won a title shot. They won a proving ground two weeks ago on the TV show. So why do they need to win another tag title shot? They've already got one. So they didn't even need to be in this gauntlet and one was injured anyway. So it was pointless, personally, they being in that match at all. No, I'd I'd, asked, uh, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, sorry, go ahead. I was, was going to say, I, I didn't like the order they chose either. I think I think everybody sort of expected Future Shock, um, sorry, not Future Shock, Young Bucks to win. I think it, just putting the Young Bucks out first would have really helped them. You know, if they're beaten four teams, I think they really deserve to be, you know, be named as the number one contenders. But yeah, the way, the way it happened, they, they could of, do. We, we yeah, I, was thinking, I was thinking um, the Young Bucks came out the perfect time. I think Future Shock should have come in out earlier. Future Shock, I think, should have been the first, first team mm. and have them go through Coleman and Alexander and the Bravados and then, you know, get defeated by by uh, 
the Young Bucks that way, they go through two teams, look good, and then get defeated by a team that's higher up on the card. But the fact that they've already wrestled for longer and faced a fresh team and still kind of protect them and keep them looking strong. Yeah, I think that one of the problems was that when a new t- team came in, they just, you know, after a few minutes, they got the win. And it just, it was just like, I don't know, it was, just, it was hard to sort of get into it because things were just changing all the time. And it was just, um, I think they just needed a bit of a, I mean, I don't know, with the matches they had left, I suppose they didn't really have any choice but to put that one because mm. I think they probably needed a bit of a, you know, a, a match that was maybe about 10 minutes long, just a, a quicker match, more more or less like the opener that we did have. Maybe have that sort of match, uh, you know, straight after the uh, intermissions to get people sort of back into things. But, um, you know, they didn't. And you look at the rest of the card and apart from the opener, really, there's there's no matches that could have really gone there because all the rest sort of went for quite, you know, went for quite some time, didn't they? Mm. Well, the thing, well, the thing is, Stephen, that they had a. Uh, I think that the crowd was kind of angry at the finish of the match. You know, I mean, I know they needed an injury angle to get Red Titus out a little while so he could get uh, knee surgery, but the ending just kind of came out of nowhere. You know, and after sitting yeah. through a minute gauntlet match, you want to see someone get pinned or someone submit. You don't want to see a referee stoppage. You know, and especially when you know one of the young bucks just does a a a, a four fifty onto his knee, and then the referee yeah. just calls for the bell, and you know, and then the young bucks do it again. I mean, I know it's to get them over to get heat, you know, but an ending like that after a draining match, you know, was just something that the crowd got. I, I could just feel the anger of the crowd, you know, not just necessarily towards the bucks, but just towards the overall generalization of the match, you know? Hmm. I personally, I know this is something you normally see in TNA or WWE, but why not have the Young Bucks take out Ornock Express backstage and they just can't be in the match at all? I mean, as I said, they didn't need to be in this match because they already had a title shot. And then have the Young Bucks go on to win. You know, it gives them... They can brag about taking out Ornock Express and they can brag about being the contenders. And then it leads to a feud between those teams down the line. I just think, you know, the whole referee stoppage and injury angle in the ring just sort of fell flat, to be honest. Well, the, the, problem is... the, ring the whole time, you know? Yeah. Mm, I think the only problem with doing that was... They, they've already done that. They did it at, was it Northern Defiance or Southern? Sorry, was it Southern, Southern Defiance or Northern Aggression? No, they attacked him on the on the way to the ring, didn't they? There. Yeah. But what so, I'm saying is just like in the backstage yeah, segment. Yeah. <laughs> they they could have or, or they could have done it post match. Have you know, the Bucks win after after you know, Titus you know goes through all the stuff with his knee and you know makes the Valiant come back. Then just it wouldn't be enough to how injured he is. Then have the Bucks continue to punish the knee after the match would have done just as much, I think. Mm. Or like, or like Harry said, do it backstage. Yeah, I, I definitely think they went the wrong way about this. It didn't come come across well by the sounds of it, live or on the pay per views. But where where does this uh, leave Kenny King? Because and I don't know, it's not fair to compare TNA to Ring of Honor in any way. But in TNA, there's a you know the Motor City Machine Gun Saban has been injured for a while, and Alex Shelley has just been nowhere to be seen for months and months and months. Mm. And where does this uh? What do you think is going to happen with Kenny King while Titus is recovering from his injury? You think he's going to have some kind of singles run, or you think he's just going to float and hmm. have nothing to do? I mean, who could he feud with, Champa? I mean, that would actually be a good feud. Yeah, that would be a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> there, there yeah, I think in a, in a strange way, this this could probably be one of the best things to happen to Kenny King in a while because I think you know NX are such a good team, but they just seem to be so reluctant on pulling the uh, pulling the trigger on giving them the belt. So. And I think a lot of people have said before that Kenny King's, you know, future world champion, and maybe you know, giving him a few singles matches to see how he can, 
do on his own. I mean, he's had some before, again, you know, even some world title matches. So, you know, he's more than capable as a singles wrestler. So mm. I think if he does well as a singles wrestler, maybe, you know, somewhere down the line that it w- wouldn't say an X split, if, you know, if they do, then that could something that's something that they could explore. But yeah, maybe Kiss him against Davy. Yeah, maybe. It's, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, he could do with Roddy on the TV show. There's a lot of uh, sort of openings, yeah, so to speak. Yeah, I'm not sure if they black yeah. years ago. Yeah, you know, he could really like the eyelash. Because King could really freshen up a lot of like the upper mid card main event scene just by having matches with Eddie Edwards or Broderick Strong. I think it it'd be fun to watch watch those matches. Mm. Yeah. We, speaking of Roderick Strong, great segue there, John. Uh, <laughs> the next match was the Roderick Strong Open Invitational. Um, it began with uh, Roderick and Truth Martini doing a promo in the ring saying that there was no one worthy of accepting the challenge and uh, they were going to have a count-out victory because no one showed up and uh, Truth Martini started counting to 10. It was like, the longest 10 count ever. <laughs> so obvious that someone's going to show up, um, which I think they did on purpose anyway. But it turned out Chris Hero was returning. Um, I'm not yeah. sure if this is one-off. I'm guessing so. But um, how was the reaction for Chris Hero, Macklin, when he uh, came out? Well, it was it was um, when Roddy was in the ring, you couldn't hear what he was saying because the crowd was just booing him and telling him to shut the blank up, you know. And uh, when they started the 10 count, right when they got to 10, I leaned over to my friend and I went King's reign, you know, and then it just hit and the whole crate, the whole place just went crazy. What did you guys think of the oh, go on, Stephen? Sorry, I'll say actually during the match, I don't know if it was actually the same live, but the crowd just seemed really dead for this match, which was they really, were dead for the match. Yeah, the I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. It was, when Hero came, you know, came out there with massive pop, but during the match, they just all seemed to be quite flat for it. And I, I must admit, personally, I don't actually remember any of this match. I'm not sure if I just like fell asleep. <laughs> yeah, if I remember, for me and Stephen, this would have been like the show didn't finish till five a.m. and you know it started yeah. at half twelve, so we were up. For a long time, so tiredness may have played in a factor of oh, our yeah. memory here. Did, well, the, did chants like, come across on the eye pay per view? What they were chanting at him? At Hero? No, I didn't. I, I, they were chanting. They were. They were chanting. You took steroids and stuff like that, Adam. And no, you know, I didn't and, hear any of that. Yeah, that, yeah, the whole left side of the building, which I wasn't on, I was on the right side of the building, was chanting. You, you took steroids, and then the other crowd was telling them to shut the blank up, and that went back and forth for like a good five minutes. Ah. Uh. What did you guys yeah. think of the match, though? I mean, on paper, it sounds like fantastic, like it'd be a main event, but I don't know what it was. I just didn't really seem to get into this at all. Yeah, it was given the time to steal the show. It was given, you know, 17, 18 minutes. It was given the time it needed to be a great match. It's just that it yeah. didn't it didn't click. Like, the two, like, they were just all, like, I'm not sure if they were off or their styles just don't mesh well. Step each other. Yeah, or, you know, Chris, you're taking the time away from... I'm not sure if he's been wrestling. But... I mean, he, I don't know about you, but it didn't look like he was in the best shape he's been in. He wrestled with... in PWG um, recently. I don't know. I think it might have been against Willie Mack. I'm not sure, but he did wrestle in PWG. I know that. Okay. 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 So, so it couldn't have been ring. Right? I guess they just don't mesh well. Like it just it was just an off night for him. It, it just it was a disappointing match. It wasn't. I don't know. That's just, just all, I, all I can say about it. Flow. Mm. Yeah, it, I mean, it was just a letdown. I didn't like the finish either. I mean, it's, I'm trying to remember exactly what happened, but it wasn't a clean finish. There was interference, wasn't there, by... Um... It was a sick kick. Did Truth Martini do anything? I think he got up on the ring apron. I'm pretty sure he got up on the ring apron, and then 
hero turned around and right into the sick kick. Yeah, I mean, that wasn't neat. How many times have we seen that that type yeah. of finish? I mean, it wasn't necessary, especially if Chris Hero is only here for a one-off. He should have had Roderick go over um, clean, and then you know, on the TV show, Roddy can be like, "Oh, I beat Chris Hero so bad, he's gone," or something. He didn't want to stay, stick around. <laughs> well, actually, Just some sort have, of angle. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go on. Sorry. I think he. Uh, I think I actually read somewhere online. Well, I know I read something online where it said that he didn't have a contract with Ring of Honor. He was just going by on a show-by-show basis, and uh, the door was still open for the WWE to uh, sign him when his uh, medical issues cleared up. Yeah, I think he's having more tests in January, apparently. So yeah, I'm pretty sure that was in. I'm sure they put it in one of the news wires, or they said that basically they yeah they haven't signed Hero to a contract, and they won't, but. They're, they're hoping to sign him for some shows if he's available. So yeah, I, th- I think that'd be the central thing to do. I mean, he's you know he's, he's great, so there's no reason for him not to have a few matches. But um, you know, as you said, I think pe- people have been saying that he's having more medical tests in January or something. So mm. uh, I think eventually he will get there. I mean, I, I know Brian Danielson took a while to get there, didn't he, with all the liver enzymes? Yeah, all the stuff that to sort of clear and. Uh, mm. So, you know, I'm sure he will get there. And if, you know, if not, then all the better for Ring of Honor, really, because someone of Hero's sort of caliber, you know, to, especially him being a singles wrestler now, I think, he'd, you know, he'd add a lot to the roster as well. So, um, you know, either way, I think it'll work out well for, for him and Ring of Honor. I think another thing, too, the, um, he was on Twitter. Someone started a petition to get him to... Uh appear at PWG's Wrestle Reunion on the uh, 29th of January in Reseda, California to face TJP. And they were passing around this petition and people were signing it. And when it got to Hero, he said, no, thanks, not interested. So I don't know if that means that he might have signed something with Ring of Honor or he's just not interested in fighting TJP. Yeah, it just might be it just might be that uh, Hero don't want to take it because he's expecting to be signed by WWE by then. He doesn't want to accept any independent bookings until okay, he's just... sure what's going on with them. So after the uh, invitational match with Roderick Strong and Hero, we then got to the uh, one of the two sort of main events of the evening, so to speak. Um, it was for the ROH Tag Team Titles, Wrestling's Greatest Tag Team versus the Briscoes. Now this match has got sort of a lot of controversy, and I warn you, probably most of us here are going to be quite negative about it. There's a small pocket of people who enjoyed this I've seen on the forum, but the majority are really sort of negative and down on this match, and. <laughs> I mean, the, in the end, the Briscoes got the win, which is the good thing. But as far as I can remember, it was very late in the morning. But the match started. There was no bell rung, but Wrestling's Greatest Tag Team instantly started attacking the Briscoes with the belts. Um, they then threw them outside. They were hitting them with chairs. They were doing unprotected chair shots to the head. They were just beating the crap out of them for ages. I mean, they got booze before they even did this attack. And then oh, yeah. Charlie Hush was sort of flipping off the crowd, middle fingers, um, during the match. And it, it was a like, bit... It was so <laughs> confusing. I mean, this was a double turn, so to speak, wasn't oh, it? Yeah. Just oh, sort yeah. of randomly. And it, made no, it didn't tie in with the TV show at all, after everything we've seen. No. Um, no. Uh, I mean, I'm struggling to describe this because it was, it was just, like just a giant mess. It was, was just a mess. I, I I kept saying to Stephen on Skype, just what is What's going happening? on? <laughs> I, I must have said it about five times. Like, what is going on? I mean, we like, has the match died? Is it? You know, why aren't they pinning each other? Why isn't the referee stopping this? Like, oh, uh, uh, he, hasn't even, he hasn't even rung, he hasn't even rung the bell. And this is like 15 minutes <laughs> into the match. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. What's happening? Minutes. They were just beating them up with chairs and stuff. The match eventually started. Um, 
wrestling's great tag team botched the tag team finisher, which just got me even <laughs> more heat than they already that had. That was awesome. Um, and then in the end, you know, Shelton got thrown out the ring, and what really, really annoyed me was that Shelton Benjamin took one chair shot three weeks, no, about a month ago at a TV taping and had taped up ribs. <laughs> he, he, he was still recovering from best in the world, though. You have to remember that. From yeah, that, he saw. From massive chair shot. Well, the amount of chair shots they gave each other. They hit each other with those uh, with those two-by-fours, Hacksaw Jim Duggan style. <laughs> yeah, the Briscoe. And they're, they're hip on going, but that one chair shot has bedroom with taped up ribs. It makes no sense. And now they even they still even after the beatdown, the ten fifteen minute beatdown with weapons, they still played into this injured ribs with one chair shot angle, which was ridiculous. Especially after we'd just seen the no DQ match with Steen and Karina where, you know, a suplex onto a guardrail doesn't do anything like he kicks out of it. But one chair shot chair shot to Benjamin and he's got injured ribs. I, mean, I think the only the only two positives coming from this match was that the Briscoes won and that they appear to have done some sort of double turn. Although, what really confused me was that they did all that to start with, all the, the weapons and stuff, and obviously Haas was really laying into the crowd, wasn't he? It was quite funny, actually. And then, <laughs> But then at the end, the commentators especially were trying to sort of get people to, you know, feel sympathetic towards, you know, wrestling's great tag team. Like, oh, Shelton's been, you know, Shelton's ribs must be really hurting. And, and After the one chair shot. Yeah, forget, just, forget the chair shot to the skull they gave one of the Briscoes. It's all about yeah. this one chair shot to the back. I mean, but was... the way that the commentators were sort of talking about wrestling's greatest tag team sort of suggests that maybe it was just sort of a one night thing where they just no. like maybe that. But the way they were talking about it, I mean, they weren't sort of being angry, you know, being angry towards them or whatever. Yeah, like, saying, like, oh, I can't the believe they're this? doing this. Yeah, like it was just sort of oh, they're getting their own back, as if to say, you know, the, this is what was expected or I mean they whether they're not even told what's going to happen in a match which seems a bit stupid for commentators but and that's the only thing I can think of because I'm sure I've seen DVDs from earlier this year where Haas has Haas has done this before where he sort of just like stuck his finger to the crowd and done I mean because they've received quite a negative reaction for you know for quite some time so he's done this before not to that extent that he did in a final battle but I mean that's the only, that's the one thing I'm really worried about is that they're going to sort of sort of just pretend that this didn't happen and that everyone's going to go back to loving Haas and Benjamin again. When... But it, it definitely looks like the Briscoes have turned face because they've um, been booked in a match against House of Truth and yeah. the Young Bucks are no more contenders. So it definitely seems like they've turned, but I don't know what they're going to do with wrestling's greatest tag team. From the Briscoes, they didn't really have to turn because they were getting... Probably... They didn't really do anything. They just yeah, got they... beat up 15 well, yeah, minutes. They were the getting match... the best reaction probably in the company yeah. apart from... Yeah, I hope Steen and I hope we still get to see the Briscoes we've seen for the second half of this year. The more aggressive Briscoes. They can still have that attitude. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I hope they keep that. In I hate face. to go against everybody, but I actually did like this match because it was just chaos in the building for the first like fifteen minutes. You know. <laughs> I, I bet. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Live, it was really exciting, but you know, watching it, you know, on pay per view, it was just sort of really yeah. confusing. And the fact that they beat them up for fifteen minutes. But then they still couldn't pin them. They still couldn't beat them. I know. It, it, it made them look so weak, didn't yeah. it? Jay Briscoe got busted open hard way, too. Yeah, real yeah, bad. That, he got that, that, that one right chair shot was just absolutely brutal, wasn't it? But right after the chair shot, um, Charlie Haas backed him up into the corner. And he was kind of falling down as Charlie hit him. And Charlie hit him really hard. And you just saw his eyebrow just bust open. <sighs> yeah, yeah. It, it was it was too far. That, that beatdown wasn't needed. They should have just had a match and... They still could have done the turn another way, but 
I think this was a really bad sort of booking decision, and it, it came across really poorly. But how did it, I guess it came across a lot better live, like in person, than it did on the pay per view, though, didn't it? Like, um, like how- it came across it came across really well in in the building. Like there was one there was one spot where um, Shelton, I don't know if it was Shelton or or, or, um, or Charlie, I don't remember who, but picked up Mark Briscoe twice and gave him uh, like a. Like you know the the backbreaker that Roderick Strong does off the top uh, on the top rope where he just drops you, he mm-hmm. kind of that thing to Jay uh, to Mark Briscoe twice on the guardrail, and people were just like okay the first time, but the second time they were like okay this is just unnecessary now you know. Mm. It was just going a little bit over the top, but I mean, people like chaos. I like chaos, and it was just chaos, but it was. But it we'd was, already seen chaos with Steen. Did we need that? Yeah, that's again? why I think. Yeah. The, was so dead for the main event because we were just so worn out from two hardcore matches, you know. Mm. And all the build I've been doing on the TV show. I was going mean, to say if, that, yeah. If there was anybody who literally just started watching ROH on the TV show and they're tuning to that, and then they see House and Benjamin just doing that, they're going to be like, "What the hell just happened?" Because we, all of us, were like, "What?" And you know, we're supposed to know stuff about Ring of Honor, so yeah, we wrote about it all the time. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, we're supposed to, yeah. <laughs> and we were confused. So I mean, imagine the new fans. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it just felt like all those weeks of build on the TV show because it was one of the. I think they had more build than the to- uh, the main event did because they announced it like really early on. I think it just it just came across like it was wasted. Because dis- yeah, I think if they just went out there had like a normal tag match, you know, had. Maybe had you know uh, Briscoes get a clean win after the match. The Briscoes offer to shake the hands, and the wrestling's great tag team low blow them and beat them up. Heel turn, yeah. and there you go, done. Simple. Yeah, and that, maybe, maybe even before the match, have them sort of as the Briscoes are making their way out, just have them attack them from behind with chairs or something. Yeah, and then throw them in the ring. Ding, yeah, ding, one chair shot, yeah. ring, throw them in the ring, and have the match rather than. I mean, it wasn't the sort of pre-match attack longer than the actual match itself. I think yeah. I'm I, sure. I think yeah. it went on for about fifteen minutes, and then the match was about ten. Yeah, it was. And as we said, it just made them look so weak because the, yeah, they were beating down the Briscoes for 15 minutes with chairs and two by fours, and then the Briscoes are, are able to not only survive 10 minutes with them, but actually beat them after 10 minutes as well. I just, I, I don't really know what the you know what booking team were thinking about this one, but it just, uh, I, I'm 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 still I still don't know what to think. I'm still yeah, sort of, it's still my brain confusing. still hurts thinking about it to be honest. I mean. I think- I think it was just better for me because I could see the whole what I could see everything that was going on because I was in the balcony, you know, and you guys are they were just trying to capture it with the camera on TV, you know. Mm. Yeah, that, that that's true. But what do you think's next for Haas and Benjamin? Because it looks like the Briscoes are going to go on to feud with the Bucks possibly. Um, but what's next for Wrestling's Greatest Tag Team? If, if I was Ring of Honor, I would be using Wrestling's Greatest Tag Team to really put over the younger tag teams in the company. I think a feud between them and Future Shock would be. Really uh, good. Yeah, that's a good idea. So really you know, get Future Shock over as a legitimate main, if, I guess, main event or top-tier tag team in Ring of Honor. Yeah. yeah I think um, a lot of uh, Ring of Honor fans are kind of sick of Haas and Benjamin and watching, seeing their matches. That's just what it comes across, you know, reading the message boards and, you know, hearing their reactions at live shows. They're just, people are just sick of seeing them. And, you know, they are, you know, pretty big names in the wrestling world. You know, having... And if Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly are able to beat them, you know, it will do a lot for their status in the company and in wrestling in general. Mm. Well, the thing about them was, is uh, I, I heard some guy sitting next to me. He said, uh, he goes, oh, yeah, I can't wait till the world uh, the wrestling's greatest tag team loses the tag belt so that they don't have to be in Ring of Honor anymore. I'm like, no, sir, they signed a contract. 
they're, 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 they're yeah. a multi-year contract as well not just a yeah contract. he's like oh they're not going back to wwe i said no they signed a contract <laughs> he was like oh so we have to see him now and that really gave me like the 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 stigma of what people think of wrestling's greatest tag team like okay just drop the belt so we don't have to see you anymore but that's not the case Mm. I think it was definitely the right decision to turn them heel just because of you know the reaction they've been getting on the message boards and at the arenas. But I think they just went completely wrong way about it. And I think we should move on because we've, <laughs> we've buried that match enough, I think. <laughs> but speaking of burying matches, I think John has uh, got a lot of... Th- or probably all got a lot of things to say about the main uh, event. My God, we should, we should just mute John on this one. <laughs> but, the main, of, the main event of the night of the biggest pay-per-view of the year for Ring of Honor, the World Championship, David Richards with Team Richards in, in his corner versus Eddie Edwards with the infamous Dan the Beast 7 in his corner. Um, if, if you didn't know or couldn't predict, um, David Richards got the win at the end. But before we get to the finish, what what is there to say about this match? Can I mean, we just get to the finish, please? No. We've got to talk about the match itself first. I think we'll start with John, because on the forum, just after it happened, you said you hated it, and that everyone had to wait to the podcast to hear the oh, that was, that was that was good. That was a good uh, cliffhanger, wasn't it? Good cliffhanger. Everyone's going to tune in for this part right now, John. So the pressure... The official, is on... the official John <laughs> shoot on, on the Wait, main event. John. <laughs> better not be disappointing as this main event was than right now. This I hated, 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 hated this match. <laughs> it was everything I feared it was going to be, and then some. It was, uh, it was like twenty minutes too long. It was oh, like finisher overload. It was kickout overload. Mm. There's no rhyme or reason to anything they were doing. They were just busting out moves just for the sake of busting out moves. You know, oh, oh, we already hit one big move. Let's go to the top rope. Hit a hit a uh, hit a crazy top rope move. All right, no, you kick out of that. Let's go ahead and do another crazy top rope move. All right, let's go ahead and let's do a tombstone. Kick out of that. Okay, let's keep on going. That bit really annoyed me. The tombstone and then the diehard yeah. kick out. I mean, that was ridiculous. I mean, it just devalues whole, all of the moves. I mean, ugh. build up. I mean, the build up was completely forgotten. The build up was that Eddie Edwards went to Dan Severn to learn a to uh, train. Mm-hmm. He learned a move that uh, Dave Richards had not prepared for, did not know anything about. Dragon Sleeper. That move played absolutely almost <laughs> no... They, they, he walked it on, what, once in the first minute? I think in total, match? he used it twice, but both times, Davey got out of it instantly. And Nigel on commentary, apparently, I didn't remember this myself, <laughs> but said, didn't he beat someone on the TV show with that? Like, and literally the week before he'd beaten Andy Ridge with it, and I thought that was quite poor. From, before, from and on the Go Home show, he made David Richards tap out to it at, at the end of the show. It, it, it was just awful. Like Dan <laughs> Severn did nothing. Eddie Edwards didn't ever go to Dan Severn for like, any advice. He was just kind of standing yeah. there. He never he, went this... to the corner. You know, in all this, like he disappeared from the TV show for a month because he was at Dan Seven's training camp or in storyline, and he kept saying, you know, Dan Seven's this amazing corner man. Davey Richard doesn't have anyone in his corner that can give me the advice. But he never went to uh, Seven once. He, he used this finisher, this magical finisher, twice, and Davey just got out of it like it was nothing. Yeah, within seconds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I wouldn't expect Eddie to go to Severn's corner or to the corner like every you know couple minutes, but just twice during the match. Yeah, would have been... do it like once early in the match and like somewhere in the mid midway point in the match, you know, to kind of regroup. But uh, the run in with Truth Martini in the House of Truth, like, everything was just wrong with this match. I just uh it was just forty minutes of torture for me is what it was. 
It I mean, was just so bad. To this, before we get off this whole seven thing, I mean, they put such a they spent all this time building him up and hyping up, you know, who he was and how he's going to make Edwards different. But Edwards, it was basically it was all this, exactly all the this, exact same matches best yeah. in the world, except he walked on the dragon sleeper twice for a grand total of eight seconds. They wrestled the ma- like an identical style match that just wasn't as good as best in the world. And as we said before the show, you know, they needed to do a different match to put a different spin on it to make it more interesting, which we thought they were going to do with the whole seven angle. I mean, at the start, we, we buried the seven angle because it made no sense. And it turns out we were right because it didn't make any sense because it looks like no one at Ring of Honor or they just completely forgot about the TV show and just didn't mention or play on anything they'd done over the past three months building up the show. With what happened, I can only think that the only reason that they signed Dan Seven was they thought people were going to buy the pay-per-view to see him because he didn't do anything. So there wasn't a reason uh, uh, for him to uh, be there. He didn't do... What happened was Roderick Strong come out for no reason. We, we don't no, know why. why. Why was he interfering in the match? I mean, they could be yeah. building up something where Eddie joins the uh, the House of Truth, but if they were going to do it, they should have just done it right then and there. That, yeah, they that's that's the only thing. Final battle. If, they're going to make him, if he's going to eventually join, it, it would have made more sense with the way... Mm. That, you know, Truth Martini's been out there, you know, kind of recruiting Dave Richards and kind of recruiting Eddie Edwards, you know, saying, you know, if if he's been with me, he would have won this match 10 minutes ago. The way mm. they, it made sense for Eddie to join House of Truth beforehand. It, it, just nothing about this was good to me. I didn't like anything about this, really. I mean, all the House of Truth came out, you know, uh, uh, Truth Martini, Elgin, Strong, but then they just got beaten up by Tony Kazina, who's, is he a wrestler? <laughs> he's the jobber. Yeah, he, yeah. he's shown up tw- like twice ever and lost Ky- both matches. Kyle O'Reilly, who had just been in a tag gauntlet, and Dan Seven, a 50-something-year-old man, managed to clear off Elgin and Martini and Roderick Strong and like just carried him off like he was, like Martini was a woman, basically. And then they just disappeared. So this amazing corner man and trainer just buggers off halfway through the match and doesn't come back to and see his match. his match. kept on going for another 15 <laughs> minutes after that. That yeah, should have... That should have been the end, or you know, a couple of minutes. It should never have end. happened. That running, that was stupid. Oh, no. it was like but if they were going to do it, I thought I was watching TNA for a second. Could have, <laughs> I could have running, but it should have, you know, kind of led up to the climax of the match at that point. It instead of just keep going with random moves for another fifteen minutes that had no flow or anything. And this match right here was pretty much exemplifies what I don't like about uh, Davy Richards' style. It's just. It's uh, it's just frustrating for me to watch his matches because kick kicks yeah, too yeah, many kicks and how slaps. Many, how many uh chop off or chop offs or you know standoffs where they just yeah just, the, the stairs yeah, they must have done it about five times. It was just, yeah five times in the match yeah do it once do it even twice but they just kept doing it and do it because they were just as John said they were just doing move after move there was no significance behind any moves they were just literally going from move to move and they did a little stare down they chopped each other and they did a few more moves and it was just oh I mean I think John's basically said everything that you could say about this match but I think every single decision they made about it was more or less completely wrong which was such a shame because you know there was there was no way they were going to beat the best in the world match as a technical wrestling match they there shouldn't have no even tried to yeah it was impossible they should, have had, they should have had what i think they should have done a 20 minute match story based around the dragon sleeper with uh him going for the dragon sleeper and eddie you know getting or uh davy getting like you know finding the ropes or something not being able to find a way out of it and then you know davy you know getting on his offense with eddie going to the outside a couple of times getting severin's advice you know, then come back to dominate, and then at the end, you know, Eddie's finding a quick way to 
you know, finally finding a way to get out of the Dragon Sleeper in here, maybe, and then lock on, you know, do one of his finish. What is Davy's finisher move? Is it the twenty Wait, kicks to the face? He doesn't have one. <laughs> his finisher Sorry, that was the uh, was the the cloverleaf. That was his finisher. He made people tap out a couple of times in 09. But other than that, I didn't see anything. I don't he used, he used yeah. to have the D, was it the DR driver he used to use now and again. That was sort of... Yeah, he used to use a running kick to the head like he did at Best in the World to Eddie, you know, where he just punted him in the face. But, I mean, yeah, we were, I think I was speaking to Stephen about this. Davey just doesn't have a finisher. Yeah. Because all of his moves are basically finishers. I mean, he just... All the, all, his moves are nothing but kicks, chops, and finishing. occasional weird... Yeah. I mean, it... Like, what was the ending? Was it just a kick to the head? Is that how it, was, it ended? It was like the you did it about four, didn't it? An angry stomp to the head. I mean, it was... And then, I just didn't understand. The the post-match like, little speech he did didn't make any sense either. It was like... Yeah. I mean, well, before the match, he was like, oh, Eddie's got dark part of Eddie that's going to come out. And, he betrayed Yeah, he betrayed me. And, and now he's praising how good he is and about how he's such a warrior. A, the... we already knew that. And B... Yeah, you're talking he, crap. So why are you doing? At, he did that at best in the world. This yeah, he's got the same promo after his matches. His promo is always, "Oh, he gave me a run for his for my money." Oh, he has so much heart. Oh, he's such a good wrestler. But it's the same every time David Richter steps out of the curtain. It's the same exact thing, mm. and I've been sick of it for uh, it. Ah. Uh, but John, see the thing is, is that the the difference between this match and the best in the world match, other than it being you know a total crap, this one being a total crap sandwich, and best in the world being the match of the year, the thing was that during best in the world, Davy and Eddie told a story in that match. They hesitated sometimes to do moves, and uh, you could you could just tell that they they knew how to tell a story yeah. while they were they were beating the hell out of each other. But in this match, it just seemed like that they just didn't. You know, it was just missing something just to make it good. And that's that's the what's so frustrating. Like Davey's shown and Eddie, they've shown the ability they can tell stories. They can you know, even their first match for the T V title was really was a great match. They yeah, told a story well, yeah. in that match. They told a great story at best in the world. And just the fact that they threw all the build up out of the window and completely yeah. ignored everything that, that they've been building on for the past what what three or four months. Mm. Oh yeah. Throw that aside and just do what they did was just so irritating. And the ending so... of the match was just what he just kicked him in the head like forty six times and Eddie just <laughs> fell over. You know, I mean, no substance. There's no sustenance to that match. You know, mm. I mean, yeah. one thing we don't really I think as a key part of wrestling is a finishing move is something that you know when it happens everyone's like oh it's got to be it it's over like but. I can understand, you know, kick out of one finisher, maybe, maybe two, but how many times were the kick constant kickouts in this match was just ridiculous. It just devalues all the moves and yeah. you know, to to get Davey over to all these new fans, they need to build him up with, you know, some sort of signature move like the ankle lock or something like, Oh, he's got him in the ankle yeah. lock, what how is he gonna get out? Well, of course he's gonna get out of it. They've got another five finishes and kick to the heads to do. Like this. But see, that's what WWE does so good. As much as I, you know, have soured on WWE in the past couple of years, you know, you always knew that when Triple H hit the pedigree, it was over. When Stone Cold hit the Stone Cold Stunner, it was over. And but, I'm not necessarily saying that's a good thing. The but... only time it wasn't over was like at WrestleMania or something, which where yeah, it made sense. You know, like... But if, yeah. he, if he was in like a single, like say Stone Cold was in a singles match or The Rock was in a singles match against like Kane on Raw, once he hit the rock bottom of the people's elbow, you knew other than maybe, you know, once in a blue moon that it was over. Mm. You know, and make, that's why the pentagon is important. When, in, when in Davey just makes him seem like any other move. 
Yeah, well, that's why the pedigree was so important, and that's why the Stone Cold Stunner was so important, because guys didn't kick out of it. But when you have moves like, you know, the diehard that, like Nigel said, I didn't hear him say because I was at the event, but like he said, didn't that finish off, you know, Andy Wright? No, he, he said that the, the sleeper. Yeah, the oh, the sleeper. Yeah, yeah, sorry, the sleeper. Yeah, he said, didn't that finish off, you know, that guy in the TV? And you know, it, it's it just devalues, it devalues it, like you said, Harry, you know? I mean, we've been really negative here, and a lot of people online were. Was this sort of reaction there live as well? Yeah, people were people were walking out groaning as Davey was talking. Like you said, you know, he had said that he didn't know who Eddie was anymore, and Eddie wasn't the same person. He wasn't his brother. He was the enemy now. And then after the match, he's just like, oh, they hug and they kiss. Like, it's all, you know, like it was all hunky-dory all along. And like you said, they throw four months of storyline of Eddie being angry, you know. <laughs> Like somebody said on Twitter to me, someone said it's like, you know, um, uh, like Eddie or Eddie and Dan Severn are dating and, uh, you know, and Davey's <laughs> jilted lover, you know, like <laughs> I think that was typical ROH fan who said that on Twitter, you know. And the way that like, before Davey was like, if you wanted to train with Dan Severn, you only had to ask me. But Dan, I mean, from what they were saying, Eddie, uh, Davey doesn't even know Dan Severn. He, he thought about training with him a few years ago. Mm. That's, that's just like that's. Stupid. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, it's like the thing. Oh, I was thinking about getting a PS3 three years ago, and my best friend gets one. And I'm like, how, how could you do that to me? All you had to do was ask yeah. me if you wanted to get a PS3, and I'd have said yeah. <laughs> it's like it's just such a. It's it just like that, that they were just clinging at things to try and have some sort of story going into it. They just mm. didn't have a clue what to do because straws. Uh, yeah. yeah, and the final straw was done seven, and I just hope it wasn't a costly straw because it failed completely. I mean, just, yeah. And I do think I'll say this. I'll say this to the people who, to like an average wrestling fan who didn't watch the build up to the match, and I and you just showed them this one match. Don't tell them they've ever wrestled before. You show them this one match. I'm sure they'll say it's a very good match. But to me, you know, seeing what they've done in the past, knowing the build up and everything, mm. it just came across terribly. But yeah. as a standalone match, it might be very good. I'm just I just can't look at it like that like that. I mean, before the show, we were initially very, you know, disappointed with the seven angle, and then we sort of, you know, started to accept it and see the reasons why, as the weeks went on, the, you know, it made more sense, and we kept saying, you know, we'll give them final battle, we'll see, you know, see how they play it off, and you know, yeah. we were right all along, and they just, it just went horribly wrong. Made but John, sense. see, that, that's the thing, John, when you, when you have a, a third match of any variety, whether it be a UFC match or, you know, a uh, uh, a wrestling match, the third one, you know, people are going to get worn out regardless if the first two were match of the year candidates or whatever. People are going to want to see something different. Mm-hmm. And that's why they said, you know, right after this match, they said, okay, the Eddie thing is over on to Kevin Steen, you know? Yeah. Which, which that's what saved the last, like, I thought the first half of the show was amazing. The first half, you know, put the show on pace to be show of the year. In my opinion, it was, I, yeah. I was that high on the first half. Second half of the show is so just disappointment after disappointment to me, yeah. and the Kevin Steen, you know, coming at the end, saved the second half from being a complete disaster in my opinion. But back to the main event, that's I think that's what the main problem was. They didn't do anything different than their first two matches. Mm. It was just the same old, same old what we've been seeing for a while. And if they were just you know, just made it slightly different, uh, my opinion might be might be you know a, a complete 180 of what it is now, but. It was what we've always been seeing from these two, and it's just it's just old now. It's just yeah, been there, done that. It's stale. I I don't want to see that anymore. I don't think Davey's a good champion. 
I mean, oh, I think okay. that when he was building up towards the championship, if it was going to happen, it should have happened versus Strong at Final Battle 2010. Well, I think, I think, but I think in general, babyface champions are kind of boring. Like the build, like I think the build up to a babyface winning the championship is always a lot better than the babyface actually being the champion. I think that's what Davey's suffering from is trying to figure out how to make his uh, championship brain an exciting one. And I think he's. I think Team Richards is definitely not the way to make his championship reign exciting as well. And you can't make a championship reign exciting when you don't defend the damn belt. How is it that (laughs) Eddie Edwards, how is it that Eddie Edwards had the belt for three months and he defended it like four or five times and Eddie, and now that Davey Richards has the belt, he's defended it three times in six months. I don't understand that. Yeah. I mean, I know the American Wolves angle they were doing with the tag team thing, but you know what? When Eddie had the belt, he was still in the American Wolves too. And they, and he was defending the title, so I don't know if they just didn't want people to get burned out on Davey, but it just seems to have happened, you know? Is there anything it, else? With, go on, sorry. I thought it was quite ironic how Final Battle had all this hype going into it, and it was a massive disappointment, whereas last pay-per-view, you know, Death Before the Sun, I was going into it, people were like, nah, I'm not sure about this, and it turned out to be pretty good. So it was just sort of the complete opposite of Final Battle. But it could have been the expectations. We could have had such low expectations for Death Before Dishonor that no matter what happened, not, not no matter what happened, but you know, if even if they they put on a you know a, a great show, but even if they put on a good show, we would have been you know kind of surprised by it. Whereas with Final Battle, we were expecting something better than Death Before Dishonor, and it wasn't as good. So we're we're it was still I would still say Final Battle is a overall pretty good show, but it just wasn't up to our expectations, and that's why we're all disappointed in saying it's not as good as. As uh, we, I think we were kind of we, we're we're we had too high of expectations for Final Battle. I think. I think the TV show worked out negatively here because you know they spent all those weeks building up to things that just didn't pan out at all. Like the build up was a complete waste. I think that is what has made us so angry. Like, can you imagine if this, you know, didn't have all the TV show build up, sort of like Death Before Dishonored did? Do you think we'd have this sort of negative opinion towards it? I mean, do you think that could play into it? I yeah, maybe a bit. Yeah, but I think still the, the main event, regardless of how much building would have got on TV, I think people would still be disappointed with that, and people would still be like, "What the hell happened in the tag team match?" So I think those last two, like you know, both being so disappointed at the end, just left like a sour taste in your mouth. After yeah, the show. as John said, I, I the first the first half was just was you know was pretty good. I think if the second half had been as good as the first half, it probably would have been up there with event of the year and. As it turned out, it's probably going to win most disappointing event of the year. Yeah, after mm. watching the show, like my first, like one of my first thoughts after watching the show was, this is just like uh, WrestleMania 25, where the best match of the show, the one everybody was most looking forward to, was in the middle of the show, and the crowd was burned out by that, and there's no way anything after it could match it. With and uh, the main event was disappointing. Like it's just like WrestleMania 25. And while the undercard of both shows are really good, and they both have really good matches. Overall, it's going to be remembered as a disappointing show because of the of, because of the main event or the last two matches. You know, it's if the order of the matches were rearranged, I think it'd come across a whole lot better than what it actually did. Mm. They were telling us as we were leaving that we could pre-order Final Battle on DVD for ten dollars and not have to pay shipping. I think they were just like, "Oh God, we're not going to get any shipping and handling costs because nobody's going to pay for the show if they've already seen it." <laughs> But does that wrap up the main event before we talk about Steen? Does that um any yeah. more thoughts on the main event? No, live it was just bad. It was it was it was drawn out and it was just uh and it was just it was it was it was bad. <laughs> like one of my main things about, about going on the show, I remember saying this on the podcast. 
I don't want them to have a long match for the sake of having a long match. That is exactly what they did, mm. is what it seemed to me. Mm. Well, after the match, luckily it didn't end with a Davy promo. Kevin Steen came out and he was like pretending to cry, mocking Davy, and said that he's going to take the world title from uh, from Davy, which to me sounds perfect. Book it tomorrow for all I care. Just have it happen <laughs> soon. Um, I hope they do it at the next pay per view. I hope they don't wait until the one after that. That'd just be too long. But I mean, what what do you think? You know about Steen coming out at the end, and now that Steen's going to be looking like he's going to feud with Davy, do you think he'll get a title shot? I'm looking forward to see how it happens because obviously he can't just come in and get a title shot just because of how he's you know taken Ring of Honor kind of hostage mm. or he's going to and how he's gonna, it just wouldn't make sense storyline wise. So I'm interested to see how he gets built up to be put in the title match. I'm interested to see just what he does to uh, put himself in the main event, like how uh, he goes about it, what he does, you know, just to screw with it, what he does to screw around with uh, Davy Richards because you know he's just not going to go about his business. You know he's going to do something. To Davy to, to kind of piss him off and stuff. It's just I'm that's what I'm most interested to see going into 2012 is what Kevin Steen does and and ultimately see him. I think he has to be the next champion. Yeah, uh, definitely, definitely. I don't know how he's going to get his title shot, but I hope his lawyers uh, are. Involved. I could see him, you know, keep interfering in Davy's matches, doing promos on him, and sort of tricking him or sort of. You know, egging him on so much that they get into a proven ground match or something, and somehow Kevin Steen beats him, and that's how he gets his title shot. Yeah. But um, I hope they don't, you know, wait too long because I don't think I could handle like another six months of Davy being champ. I mean, that would just be dreadful, personally. But I mean, the ne- the next iPad review art is the uh, showdown in the sun. Yeah, WrestleMania that's, weekend. So that's uh, the late March or early. That's late March. That's yeah, March thirtieth and thirty first, I think. That must that's be a year that we had the title. Yeah, that's, that's plenty of time for them to, on the TV show weekly, to build Steen up into the uh, main event scene. Mm. I think that that's the perfect time for Steen to take the title. It, he, he, he needs to be the next champion, and he's the perfect person to carry Ring of Honor throughout yeah. 2012. Because if he didn't win it at that you know WrestleMania weekend, the next die pay-per-view would be June, June-July time. So, I mean, that would be Davey's champion for a year, and... I don't think another six months of Dave being champion would work, to be honest. Um, I think they just need to, with all the momentum Steen's got, just get the belt on him now and just run and with it. And it'd be like a lot like the Tyler Black situation where he goes for so long that like, if, if he doesn't win the title at the next time review, it'd be kind of like Tyler Black where at that final battle, what, 2009, where the uh, time limit draw happened and it's oh, yeah. sucked all the life out of it, out of Tyler Black becoming champion, I think if Steen doesn't become the champion at the next iPad review. Everybody was just just be deflated and just not care when he's finally champion. Mm. And it would just be more backlash than anything. Does this sour final battle for you if you watch final battle? I mean, not final battle, excuse me. Would it sour best in the world for you if you watch, went back and watched best in the world just because of the, how uh, how crappy this match was, the final battle? No, no. Um, like When people say that... Uh, like the aftermath is something like how things played out later, like spoil something that happened earlier. Yeah, I I don't agree with that because that was still a great moment. It was still, you know, a very good match. Yeah. And anything that comes afterward isn't going to change the like what we felt and like how we saw it at that time. You know, looking mm-hmm. back, you know, knowing what happens, you know, it didn't end the way we thought it thought it would or should. But looking at the time we how, how we felt, the emotional investment we had at the time. 
and just the reaction of the crowd and everything, there's no, you know, changing that. And, you know, just we'll go back and watch, you know, Best in the World. And I'll at least feel the same way I did then. Mm. And just knowing, like, remember how I felt during that time and just completely forget I just about to it. To get that taste out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It was, I don't know. Kevin Steen saved uh, Final Battle. Yeah, he did. Mm, definitely. It's Merry Christmas. <laughs> so, well, that wraps up the card. Um, do we, overall, guys, you know, can you sum up your thoughts? Is that's possible? Do we just go around and everyone, you know, share what they thought overall or anything like that? I mean, Stephen, give you sort of like overall view of the, the event. In one word, it'd be disappointing, wouldn't it? I think uh, it's, it's it's so difficult, as John said. It, I mean, if you if you'd never seen a Davy and Eddie match before, and that was your first match of them both, I mean, you might look at it and say, you know, that was pretty good. I don't know why everyone's moaning, but when you've seen the match at Best in the World and you've seen all the build-up, yeah, it, it was a disappointment. Uh, you know, the, the match wasn't bad, but it was just with everything that's come before it. You know, it it was bad in that situation. So mm. I think you know, overall, the, the quality of the show wasn't bad. It was, you know, I'd, I'd probably give it some like six out of ten, whereas. You know, I'd probably go back and watch some of the matches again, but would I watch the whole event? I'm not really sure because I mean, it came to about four hours in the end. Didn't it, it? Was it was too long. It, yeah, it was. Yeah. It was a long show. I mean, we got out at twelve thirty. It was long. Yeah, I mean, I know yeah. we were we were up about to about five a.m. and yeah. I think we only I only got there because of Red Bull. So um, props <laughs> to them for keeping me awake. <laughs> but yeah, you know, you're saying about going back and watching matches. The only ones I would personally go back and watch again would be Steen and Carino in the opener. Yeah, yeah. I think I've... the like I I think this is a lot like WrestleMania 25. Like I said, it had good matches, but you don't really remember it be, of, as a great show because of how like the final few matches went. Mm. Uh, uh, I'd say I'd still say this was a good show. I'd it's it's a long show. It's too long of a show. I think they picked the wrong show, like the wrong time to do a really long show because a lot of people would be buying their first uh. I pay-per-view. Yeah, it was the first pay-per-view of the sort of SPG TV era, wasn't it? Yeah, and and if uh, new viewers are like, is this what Ring of Honor always puts on, you know, lengthwise and everything? I'm sure they were burnt out, you know, a whole lot quicker than people who've watched Ring of Honor for years were. Mm. You, know, it, you know, I think this pay-per-view should have went, should, they could have cut off 30 to 45 minutes off this pay-per-view, and it would have been just as good, if not better, quality or wise. And I think it was a good show overall, you know, as critical as, as I've been about the last few matches. I still think it was a good overall show. Uh, disappointing, yeah, but it was, no to nine, it was a good show. I'd, I'd probably give it a six and a half, seven out of ten. I might would I might would recommend it to people who want to get, who are, who are familiar with Ring of Honor. But I wouldn't, I'm not sure if I'd recommend it to anybody who's wanting to get in Ring of Honor. If, if somebody's like, give me a, give me a show from 2011 that you want me to, uh, you know, that can convince me to watch this product. This would be one of the last shows I think I'd pick to yes. uh, expose somebody. And which yeah. is the shame. This is supposed to be their biggest, best show of the year. And I think, in that sense, it failed. But as a show itself, it's, as a standalone show, it was a pretty good show. Yeah, I think I would sort of agree with you there. It was Stephen, what Stephen said about just disappointment. But, you know, there were still some good matches on the card. Like, as I said, the opener was the. The TV total match was good eventually, and the Steen match was fantastic. So, 
I think, you know, John sort of hit the nail on the head that the last two, you know, what happened just sort of made the whole show seem bad. But just because of, you know, how long those last two matches were and, you know, being the main events and everything. But another thing that I think we should briefly talk about was the various... I know, Macklin, you wouldn't have seen this at all, but the technical issues they had with the iPay-Per-View were... Oh, I heard about that. Probably the worst they've had. I mean, me and Stephen really? have watched every iPay-Per-View since Death Before Dishonor 8, I think. And, um, you know, occasionally will get the, the odd problem here or there, but they had the worst sort of technical and camera-based problems at this pay-per-view, which is like the worst time to do it because of all these new viewers watching it. I mean, there's a lot of spots missed, you know, with the dodgy camera work, which we often see on the TV show as well. And then, you know, we'd, after the match, we'd have like slow motion replays and the audio was really slow, like they were talking <laughs> like that. And then like, but you could still hear Kevin Kelly talking while the replay was being shown and uh, it was just a mess. I mean, you'd expect, like... go on. You yeah, like you were about to uh, producers were about to say, you'd expect more out of them. You know, two years into their you know internet pay per view run, mm. now with the comp- you know a television company backing them, <laughs> you, you would just is and also is this the first IP review they've done in a while without Dave Lagana, and I I didn't think you know one producer could make such a difference, but he really I guess was either that good or the new person they found is this bad because there were so many missed spots, so many times, you know, uh, Nigel or Kevin Kelly was like, can we get a camera shot of this? And then no camera shot of it. That happened, you know, once or twice, it seemed like every match, where Nigel would be like, oh, look at this over here. Mm. And you would never see what they were talking about. And there would be times where they showed, like, the crowd or something cheering, and you'd see, like, here, like, a, like the, you know, a big, like, uh, I guess, like, the bang on the map you know, you'd hear like a move happen, and you wouldn't see it, and they wouldn't really explain what just happened. Mm. A lot of missed spots, like a, the replay stuff. I I kind of found funny. It's it's <laughs> not, <laughs> not slow motion. Like, uh, no. <laughs> that was. It just seemed like a. Uh, it's not fair to compare it to Chikara because Chikara they have the uh, smart mark video. They outsource what they do, with a. Uh, they don't, they don't do it in-house like Ring of Honor does, but the production of Chikara's first ever iPay review back in November was head and shoulders so much better than than Final Battle, where this is probably, what, Ring of Honor's 10th? I'm just guessing. I can't remember how many iPay reviews it's been. It's probably about their 10th iPay review. Yeah, something like that. yeah, around that, yeah. You would think they'd have their act together by now, but they just, they just haven't quite figured it out, and it's frustrating to, to watch. I mean, normally it's Go Fight Live that has the the problems. I mean, I know there was one. It was sometime in 2010. I think it was 2010 or maybe early 2011, where there was one where it was, it was so bad on iPay View that they gave people discounts on the next one because it was, they, you yeah. know, the streams kept cutting out and it it just kept like getting really blurry and mm, that was, was Go Fight Live's problem, wasn't it? It wasn't really. Yeah, but I mean, this time it was barges the stuff. But this time it was just. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was even more disappointing that because obviously you're going to have new people, and obviously Ring of Honor, you know, they're not going to have the same production values as a TNA or a WWE. That's that's not what they want people to watch it for. But you still need to have you know decent, you know, decent production values, and just showing a, a you know a replay. I mean, that's just not even you know advanced. That's just showing a bit of film that you've just recorded. And the only thing was after the first couple, why didn't they just stop them? They weren't working. They kept yeah. trying, yeah. They kept trying. Yeah, you had the comedy, really slow, robotic voice from Kevin Kelly. <laughs> and then it was just like, just stop it. 
but they kept doing it and doing it, and it was the same every time, and it was just, oh. What made me laugh is that the very, very first sort of graphic we saw was a botch. It said that the TJP Elgin match was the main event. And <laughs> from there on, you just knew there was going to be technical issues if they called the opener <laughs> the main event. Like, to be fair, if that was the main event and that had been the whole show, it'd probably got a better, <laughs> a better reaction. Than yeah, I'd give it 8 out of 10 if that was just, was just that, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, technical issues aside, it was okay, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I think I don't know. I don't know where to end this. We've sort of ranted uh, a long time. We've probably I, think come it was, a... I think it's one of those shows that would be better in the building if you were there live than it was on uh, iPay per view. Is what is how I think the show would come. Yeah, it coming. was great in the building, John. I mean, I want to go back and watch that Briscoes and World in uh, Wrestling's Greatest Tag Team Match just to see what you guys saw. So maybe I won't have the opinion that I have when I was there. I mean, I still will have the opinion of it live, but I want to see what you guys saw. You know. Mm. I think it's really disappointing to have to sort of not you know not slag them off, but sort of you know criticise a lot of what they did because you know, that's not nice. And you know obviously <laughs> a lot of the most of and a lot of the time, <laughs> Ring of Honor sort of you know you don't have to criticise them because they put on great shows. But there were just so many decisions that they made that were just were just wrong for so many reasons that it was just so frustrating. And mm. I can only hope that you know this is sort of DVD that if you watched it in eight months, six months, eight months time, that you might watch it and think, oh, this show is pretty good. If you know without all the build up and without it, you know, in context, you might look back at it and think, you know, that was that was pretty decent after all. But I think, as you said, everyone was just so disappointed with what happened that I think there's probably you know cloudy people's judgment a little bit. But um, let's just hope that. You know, 2012 sort of starts off better than the 2011 ended. Yeah, a little bit of a disappointing ending to, you know, quite a good year overall. But um, I think, you know, what you said there is a good sort of way to close it, so to speak, a good sort of um, end, really. Anything else we'd like to share before we wrap up the show? No, I'm good. Oh, no. No. This Steen is the man. He saved the second half yeah. of the show. Mm. Steen is God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Steen is right as a Shane Hagedorn. I know this is jumping right back into. Oh no! Here we go. Another hour of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> did, did y'all see the picture? I think it was Shane Hagedorn is the person behind the whole Steen is right thing, and mm. I'm not sure how I. Shane Hagedorn really is, is, is okay as a heel manager, but really Steen what Steen doesn't Steen doesn't need anyone. He's perfect on his own. Yeah, he, I think Hagedorn would be more better or uh, better suited for somebody like the Bravados that really further help to get them over. I think he it Steen doesn't need it. Steen Hagador needs Steen more than Steen needs Hagador, I yeah, think. Yeah, no one cares about Hagadorn, I don't think. Not many people do. I know yeah, and with you know, with what he's done with American Wolves and Kings of Wrestling, he's got pedigree in the tag team division as well. So yeah, having him you know alongside the uh, providers would be would be a good much more sense. Yeah. And as as John said, you know, Steen doesn't Steen doesn't need anybody, you know, Steen is just Steen, you know, he does what he wants when he wants because he's the best. So <laughs> that's basically what he does, and I don't think he needs a manager. So, uh, Agreed. yeah, basically. <clears throat> so yeah, uh, we hope you enjoyed this uh, final battle review. Um, I think this is a very long podcast. I do apologise for that, a lot longer than usual. But uh, thank you to uh, Macklin for joining us. Some great to hear some insight. You know, being there live and everything. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, I'll be going to uh, the 10th anniversary show in March, so if you want to have me back on, I'll uh, I'll be happy to come back on. That's not an IP for you either, is it? That's a, that's a good idea. I don't think so, yeah. yeah I look forward to speaking to you then. To, to you then. Uh, and thank you to Stephen and John for joining me as usual. Thank you. Uh, thank you.
And uh, tune in next week where we're going to take a look back at uh, 2011 for Ring of Honor. We're also going to do the uh, year awards for rohworld.com and take you know a brief look look ahead into 2012 and what we'd like to see. If you'd like to share your thoughts on Final Bow, you can do that by heading to our forum, rohworld.com slash forum. If you'd like to share any opinions on the podcast or on the iPerview itself, tweet us at roh underscore world or go on our Facebook wall, facebook.com slash rohworld. Thank you for listening, and we will see you all next week.